Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey, this is Anna David. You are listening to After Party Pod, podcast about addiction and recovery. And today, a podcast about two old friends catching up. When I say old, I am not referring to our age. I'm referring to the length of time we have known each other. And the cool thing about this episode is that this is somebody I met when she was brand new into sobriety. So, I've kind of been able to follow her journey, although she and I had not seen each other in six years when we recorded this. Anyway, you know, or you love her. You're probably, a lot of you are here just because you follow her. She's got a bit of a rabid following. Her name is Emily McCombs. She's a writer, a blogger. She had a podcast for a while. She She's a multimedia, queen of all media. Sorry, Howard Stern. She's also a mom and and the adopted mom of the cat that looks like Adam Driver, something you should go Google immediately because the resemblance is uncanny. And Emily has written a bunch of stories that have gone, as they say, viral, including her best known and the one that really put her on the map, which was about how her rapist friended her on Facebook, got her on Dr. Phil, a lot of other places. She writes very openly, not just about her uh, addiction and recovery and sobriety, but about sex addiction. And in particular, meeting guys on on, on Craigslist and, and, and being unable to give that up even when sober from drugs and alcohol. So we get into that in depth in this episode. By the way, if you don't listen to my other podcast, it's called You've Got Issues with Anna David. And you should go listen to that now because it is great. It is a bit of, uh, I started it because I started to hear from people who like this podcast, who aren't sober, who aren't even that interested in addiction and recovery. And I thought, let's do something for them. And it's been really, really fun. Enough about that. I'm going to give you Emily McCombs. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my god, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal, I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? 
I would say that we're already going because okay. we figure out the specific aspects as we go. Right. Okay. So, okay. Is so how much my life sucks in sobriety. <laughs> okay. But we're going to talk about the highs and the lows okay. because that's the reality of life and sobriety. Okay. So, okay. So because I'm, you know, narcissistic, we'll talk, we, I kind of start usually with like, how did like we met? So, Cause we met when you were like a day sober. Like, li- like days, like. I don't remember how, like 11, I think, or something like that. Is that true? Like 11 days, and it was my my first – this seems crazy now that it was 11 days in, and I was like, my first party with alcohol. Right, right, right. It was a networking event. Yeah. And um, I wanted to go because I wanted to – Network. Network. Yeah. Yeah. But I had not been anywhere where there was going to be alcohol since I had started counting days. And so I was really scared. And also because it's not the kind of thing where you go with like a friend. So it's like You couldn't bring anybody. Right. You're like walking into a room where you know no one and where people are drinking. Yeah, it's true. And it was, I would say, almost an emphasis on booze. Just like a lot of things. Well, I did get a Diet Coke, but I had to ask for it. Yeah, And someone had to like go find it. That's right. They didn't have... They didn't have anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> assumption was that so there yeah. wasn't even like juice. I don't think no, there weren't like, like mixers. A, it was like a thing in an office. Remember, it was someone's office. There was like wine, yeah, and like maybe some hard liquor, but I don't remember mixers. No, no, no. I think so. It was a thing. So I had moved to New York. I was very new in town, and there was like this club. I don't know a thing where they would invite eight people it was very it was very secret it and was, exclusive and they were like you can't tweet about it yet there were articles in the new york times about it do you remember <laughs> so so it was like they'd invite 10 people or something and you'd and you'd give a speech about what you did for a living yeah and i did like nothing cool so i felt like a loser because like the guy who created tumblr was tumblr there was yeah. there. that's right that's right i'm probably not supposed to say that but i feel like the statute of limitations has exactly. passed it this was, was like a really long time ago, ago. yeah it, but i met people who i who ended up like being in my life like i ended up meeting sherry goldhagen yeah. who became a really yeah, good friend i've met of mine. her at those i went back um to the reunions me too and, and they were super had fun. a really good time and met a lot of cool people yeah so yeah it was a good thing so we met and you were like i'm 11 days over and had you read party i had girl? read your i had read party girl yeah, yeah. so i had I, I had an idea that you were sober right 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 um i don't remember if i knew for sure because party girls like fictionalized yeah yeah yeah, yeah. allegedly no <laughs> um, so yes and so then we uh started hanging out and we started talking about addiction memoirs we started talking about addiction memoirs. Like which ones were good and which we ones did. sucked at the party. And did I said permanent midnight? I'm sure that's what I said. But you weren't. There was one that you weren't into because you said it was down into. on AA, and uh, I can't remember which one it was. But no, it was one I, I liked. Think it was more that it exposed so much of AA. Mm, it gotcha. Was, it was dry. Right. It wasn't anonymous enough. We talked about specific meetings. Yeah, well, Dry, so. I mean, August Ambrose has gone on to super trash AA and his later... Oh, I never... Because so, he's not in it anymore. And right. now everything he writes, is he, anti. he writes like about how shitty AA is. Great. And, how it, and I love August Ambrose, but every time I'm like, oh, do we have to do this? Like, I know. Because I, I, I don't think everybody has to do AA. No. I just think why close that door for somebody that it might help? It is really unfortunate, and I deal with this like all the yeah. time, and I do my best to not talk specifically about it. But sometimes, in in defense of it, in, yeah, in, am I not supposed to be talking about? No, AA you're right supposed now? to talk about whatever you okay. want. <laughs> um, one of my writers, uh, and I'm going to admit this for some reason, I'm embarrassed. I got an email, as did one of my writers, from AIA. 
that said, it's a weird email. It basically says, thank you so much for spreading positivity. Now please stop talking about it. What? Wait, from AA? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, I got one too. Oh, you did? But it was like a form letter, mine. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, yeah. My writer is super offended and freaked out and wrote in a brilliant piece that's running on the site about it. This I got one like a few years ago. Yeah, me too. I got, yeah. this is my second. <laughs> and I just, I just. I generally don't say AA, like in things that I write, I, I say yeah. meetings, I say like 12 step or recovery circles. That's or, good. I think. But so everybody confusing. knows what you mean. I know. So it's sort of this silly, like, it's kind of like Craigslist where if you say like roses, they don't know you mean dollars. Oh, you I know, didn't know that. Oh, this. that's like the Craigslist, like the, the like casual encounters. So the, you say I like roses. No, no, no. Like the like you would say like three hundred roses for you know you to come over, and that's it, it means dollars, but people think it's like oh the cops can't get you because you said roses. <laughs> oh my god, the things I don't know. Well, let me tell you, girl. I know about Craigslist acronyms, and so, they have them for all the drugs too. I mean, you say you if you wanted to do cocaine, which back when I did cocaine, mm-hmm. sometimes I would. Would go on Craigslist and I would just find like a guy who was doing cocaine and wanted a girl to come over mm-hmm. and they would say they were looking for they were ski instructors looking for snow bunnies oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's so obvious yeah yeah so so okay. I was a snow bunny so, and so so let's talk about that so you one day get this idea so you're so you're doing what were your like main things with cocaine but mostly drinking it was drinking it was cocaine and drinking yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and then I, I quit cocaine and I kept drinking and the drinking got worse. Yeah. 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 That's a bad plan. I was, I think like you, um, like when it like discovered that the cocaine meant I could keep drinking without blacking out or like falling asleep or passing out. Yeah. That wasn't my thing. Oh, that I just loved cocaine. And yeah. then like drinking would help me come down. Yeah. No, I like to do, I, well, for me, it was a trifecta. I liked to have, um, I needed to have alcohol cocaine and then I needed to find a stranger to have sex with right so it was like all three of those things were part of my ideal evening but didn't cocaine um diminish the desire to have sex with a stranger no I mean it made me really weird and pervy and so you you weren't doing meth accidentally no like sometimes the guys couldn't get it up because they were on cocaine but um for me like people don't people people like watch porn on cocaine like I know but I think that's because like they they lose the ability. This is not scientifically proven to like talk to other humans, which is no. What used it's to true. To I have seen guys go into like a weird porn hole, like on cocaine, it, where it's like, like they're watching like, what it. Like what else are they gonna do? Um, an HBO drama, you right? Know? Like, right, right. But for me, like yeah, I had lots of like weird, uninhibited, like porn like sex on cocaine. So and so, the first time you did that was that surreal, or just felt right or natural. I mean, it goes, this all goes like way back. I think yeah. like the sex and the, and the substances being like tied up together. Right. Um, and I struggled with the sex stuff like long into sobriety. Right. Too. Right. Like, it took a long time. I had to do a lot of work. And um, you've, you've written sort extensively about it. Yeah. I've written about it a little bit. I mean, it's pretty graphic. So sometimes I feel a little bit like, oh, my son might read this someday, but. <laughs> right. Right. But then I don't think I have anything to be ashamed of. I mean. You know, I this sort of with all this stuff, we do shameful things, but those are the coping mechanisms that we had, yeah. the, the tools that we had at our disposal at the time. Yeah. And then luckily we got new tools. Yeah. Um, so I try to just look at it like that as I just literally didn't have any other tools. So and so how long into sobriety did that last and what did you do to change it? Um, I would say it took me about 
it would took me four or five years mm-hmm. um, of acting out sexually in sobriety. And so that was sex for money. That was um, casual encounters, you mm-hmm. know, anonymous guides from Craigslist and, mm-hmm. and really extreme, like sometimes um, three in one day, you know, wow. like I'm working a job. And I'm going to go like meet a guy in the morning and have sex with them. And I'm going to go meet a guy at a hotel on my lunch break. And then after work, before I go home, I'm going to meet a guy. Right. And right. have sex with them. It was just like a, it, there was never, it's just like drinking. There was never enough, you know, right, um, cause right. it only worked for a little while, like for whatever it was doing for me, right. giving me self-esteem, making me feel validated. And, and that was you know, what it was. Is that yeah. the whole thing? I mean, I knew intellectually that like getting a dude to sleep with you is not, not an accomplishment. No, no. Um, but I think, yeah, it was a low self-esteem thing. It was like, and then also it was like adrenaline, like fear, like yeah. putting myself in a dangerous situation. Um, self-destructive you know right 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 and and so and and you were open about it, you lived with your boyfriend yeah I mean he didn't know all that at the time he didn't open then you wrote about it later well yeah he doesn't yeah well, yeah he doesn't he know the read. full extent of it unless yeah. he listens to this yeah but <laughs> he definitely found out you know some things that I had done yeah um but I was going but so I started going to um a therapist mm-hmm. who specialized in sex addiction. And I I called this guy in like the middle of the night because I couldn't talk to somebody. Like I knew I had to just leave the voicemail in the moment when mm-hmm. I had that like momentary gift of mm-hmm. desperation that was like, okay, I've got to call right now because tomorrow morning I'll, I'll think this is fine. Right, you know. Right. So I called this guy who was like the sex addiction guy in New York mm-hmm. and I left what must have been the most sad, desperate sounding email on his, he, I mean, he, voicemail. He's heard him he's, But he he still, like, he talked about it. Like, the whole, he right. was like, I still remember that voicemail. Wow. <laughs> Just once, you um, mean, or? Yeah. The, no, he talked about it a few times. But no, no, that you left a desperate yes, email I left message that, yeah, once. I left that desperate voicemail, and it was like, I think I'm going to die. Like, you know, I feel like if I don't stop this, I'm going to die. Because it was really just the level of danger, you yeah. know, of meeting strange men for in their apartments is yeah it was like i'm either gonna get an an std that's gonna kill me you know i'm gonna get um i'm gonna get murdered yeah and stuffed in a dumpster right you know or i'm going to kill myself because i'm so miserable right right um so you know i i left that and he called me back and i started seeing this guy and then he had a group so i started going to group Mm -hmm. for, for sex addiction and then I started going to one of the fellowships mm-hmm. for sex addiction. Well, a few of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing that was weird about all of that, which I'm actually writing about right now for Vice, mm-hmm. is um, it's it's all men. You know, you're surrounded by men. A lot of gay men. men, too. Well, it's one of the fellowships, which is where I eventually ended up, mm-hmm. is primarily gay men. Mm-hmm. And that was a much more comfortable environment mm-hmm. for me. But mm-hmm. the, the rest of them are mostly straight guys. It is very strange that that is not more divided into the gender specific. Well, the thing is, um, generally, in New York, at least, in the meetings I've been to, like, um, you know, the women tend to be love addicts right. and the men tend to be sex addicts. Right. So when there's a woman, and it certainly happens, when there's a woman who's a straight sex addict who's right. like, I can't stop having sex with strangers, not like right. I'm texting my ex or right. I'm, you know, Obsessing fantasizing. Over, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, then you 
feel really, A, really alienated from like the love addiction stuff. Yeah. And because, you don't think there's any of the love addiction stuff Oh, no, in your there story? totally is. But, but it's it like, wasn't I was the primary. Like, I was life and death. Like I was like, right. I can't stop having sex for money with strange men. Right. And I'm afraid I'm going to get murdered. Right. And somebody's like, I've got three days off texting my ex. Right, you know, And right, I know right. it's just as painful. It's just as valid. Yeah. Yeah. But, but in the different. moment, that yeah. wasn't helpful for yeah. me. Um, and so, yeah, the, I was more like a gay man. Right. In right, my right. Right. A gay man in a woman's body. We haven't heard that. Well, it's the reason you're like a gay man is yeah. because, you know, the men, the straight men who are sex addicts, they can't get sex as easily as a woman can. Right. You know, right, like right. the gay men can have yeah. sex whenever they want, as can women. Right, right, right. So, so it's more porn it was and prostitutes very, Yeah, there's porn the and men. prostitutes, massage parlors, right. um, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of like cheating on their wives, but. But it's not like it's they can't go on Craigslist and have sex with three women a day the way right. I was able to find three guys right. a day, you know. Um, so uh, and and all, the combination of all of this uh, sort of got you into recovery from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was terrible, and obviously, like I was sober from drugs and alcohol. I was working a program, so it didn't feel good. Like I knew what I was doing was wrong, right? Um, because I was in a relationship, you right. know, and right. I knew what I was. I knew it was hurting. You. It was hurtful, you know. Right. It was that that place I was there with alcohol too, where you know you have a problem, but you can't fix it yet, yep. and you're just in that painful place of like, yep. watching yourself make the same mistakes over and over and over again, and knowing it's not going to work, but doing it anyway. Well, and I don't know if it was like what it was like. Like for me with alcoholism and addiction, it was I I can't I can't stop. Right. Like really Yeah, I couldn't. You just, but just like believing it was never gonna be possible. I never thought it was gonna be possible. Right. I mean, even once I was in recovery, even once I got some like sexual sobriety under my belt, I never thought those compulsions were gonna go away. Right. Like I thought that I was gonna want to act out in that way for the rest of my life because it's really deep. It's really old the yeah. sex stuff. Like it goes way, way back before alcohol for me, right? You know, because it's about like trauma and childhood shit, right. and it felt so strong and so deeply rooted in there. Yeah. But then the crazy, like amazing, the amazing thing, right, has been that go um, copyright that. Yeah, I think someone said that before, but um, the amazing thing was that I. I actually now today, like I'm in a relationship with someone that I have never cheated on mm -hmm. and have never wanted to cheat on. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea that that would ever be possible. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Because we have and we have emotional intimacy. Like I've learned that was a big trigger for me. Mm -hmm. Like being in a relationship where intimacy was withheld from me mm -hmm. kind of drove me out to yeah. look for it in other places. Not that I was finding intimacy in those places. No. But it felt but, like it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so like I work really hard to keep that connection with my partner mm -hmm. so that my needs are being met and I, right. when they're being met, I don't even feel triggered right. to go do those things, That's you know? so interesting. Um, I wonder how common that is among the people who are cheating. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it never, for me, like cheating, the funny thing is that it, it never occurred to me. And this is like a thing, like before you get sober, like a lot of times that you're you don't really have values. Else. Right. Like right, I right. didn't have any values. I didn't have any boundaries. Right. I didn't have any, it never occurred to me not to cheat on someone. Right, right, right. Like, you know, like yeah. that's like a thing oh, yeah. that people just know like, oh, you don't do that. I right. didn't, I never, I didn't even think twice about it. I never thought, oh, I probably shouldn't cheat on my boyfriend. I just took whatever I wanted in a given right. moment that might make me feel good. Right, right. I, I certainly relate. I, I cheated on almost every boyfriend before I got sober. Yeah. And 
Uh, uh, sort of. And yeah, it just didn't cross my mind that that wasn't my right. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. I had no boundaries. I mean, it was, it's like sex for money too. Like I didn't, that was like crossing the street for me. Right. <laughs> you know, like for some, most people, that's like a thick, hard line. Yeah. It, or for like me, a, it's yeah, a decision, you, you know, yeah. like for me, that was just like, I'll just meander over here. And like ring that doorbell. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any idea how many times? Oh, hundreds. Yeah. I mean, I did it on and off for years. Yeah. I've actually have not really said that publicly. So okay. I kind of just it's came explosive. out as a former sex worker. Well, it's, it's <laughs> interesting because I was like, can I ask this? And I'm like, yes, it's Emily. I can. I can. <laughs> so, and so um, you are now how long sober off drugs and alcohol? Seven and a half years. Oh, so now we know when we met. Yeah. Seven and a half years ago. Yeah. <laughs> passed in a second um and in that time uh you had went on to well i remember you were working at a site where you did a story on me called like hot woman hot job or something like that oh yeah that was when i worked at a men's site it was a men's site that yeah. was kind of like that's a, that was a little is that a little sexist probably is right oh hot hot yeah well, you, I was probably a little sexist back then. I, I was I, – anything that is uh, feeds my ego, yeah. <laughs> I could care less. I had a I had blood taken and the woman – the nurse is like, uh, God, you have such strong veins. Ooh. And I was like, You know like, what I yeah. like? I like when you get a massage and they're like, you're so tense. Oh. That makes me feel like, yeah, I just work so hard. I'm like, I'm more tense than the average person. You know what's interesting? <laughs> I feel – uh, terribly concerned when that happens. Oh, Even I feel like weirdly accomplished. See, because uh, my thing is that I, f- I fear and know I'm a workaholic. Yeah. And so, but it reinforces that, that there's something wrong with me oh, for, for working me, so it just, much. I just want to be like, it's the, still the most, you know, like whether it's the good or bad, I was the most, I'm still like, I'm different. <laughs> See, but what, I think in recovery, I want that less. Um, I guess I'm still sick. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> kind of my point. I think. No, and so and so, can we talk about like how your career really took off? And well, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is kind of the 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 thing of the highs and lows of sobriety. It's like right. I think you get sober, and if things start to go really well, yeah. I mean, in some ways, sobriety obviously just makes things a lot better. Yes, um, yes, because you're not hungover. And <laughs> you're operating with all your faculties. Yes. And you, you know, all those little moments when I was able to show up for something like even just the tiny little ones where like I wasn't hung over that morning or I wasn't out drinking and I worked on this thing instead or I took that call, you know, right. or whatever. All those little things started to really add up to a big change in my life. And yeah, I yeah, things got really good for me. And um, yeah, I got my dream job. Um, I By the way, I will inject here that at the reunion for that group or whatever, you said to me, I got this job offer. And then I also got this offer to do like some video to produce videos, which should I do? do you called me. I don't me. remember that. I do remember calling you for for advice. And I took such credit. I was like, Emily McCombs would not yeah. have that job if I, was, I hadn't told her well, to take it. Well, I was it. scared because it was... Um, A startup, right? Yeah, and it was... Um, it was not. It was not that much money, and it ended up being more money. Yeah, because it worked out. Yeah, but um, it was. Yeah, it was. It was risky, but but not. It was so obvious that that was going yeah. to be a 
Yeah. And you know, the funny thing was I had a job. I had gotten a job. Yeah. And I had been there for two weeks. Yes. It was like a video. And then I got this other offer. And of course, it was what I wanted to do. But I felt horrible that I had to quit this job after two weeks. Oh, yeah. I was like, don't worry about it. (laughs) It was like friends, you know, friends who helped me like, I was like, don't worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Do what you need to do. Um, And uh, yeah, anyway, it all yeah, it all worked out. And um. I, you know, my career, like, and before, like, with career stuff, I had been, like, very resentful and jealous of people who were doing well in their careers. You know, I was just angry and drunk and, like, I was working in educational publishing and I was commenting on Gawker all day. I didn't know that. Meanly commenting on Gawker all day. But lots of people got, not some people get jobs from that. Well, I did. I was a, I was a very popular Gawker commenter right. in my day. Right, right. Good, good, <laughs> I don't good. think it's, I don't know if it's really like that anymore. But Richard Lawson's career was launched He was by one that. of my friends at the, like, that, right. was the, that was when it was happening. That yeah. was when I was a Gawker commenter. He was one of my, like, commenter friends. Right. Yeah. So, but but in retrospect, like just a nasty like person, just to like, go in the nastiest on people, site in the yeah. world, and, and just looking for. I mean, you're just trying to impress the other commenters, so you're just looking for right. whatever mean joke you can make on a given post. That's going to be. It's not even about the post. It's just okay. Where's the mean joke so I can impress everybody? You know. Well, which is what happened a lot on Exo Jane, right? It does, yeah. Which is funny because it's so the exact opposite of who I am now. Right. And, yeah, I dealt with that a lot. Yeah. Um, on Exo Jane and and other places on the internet like people just yeah tearing me down personally <laughs> right 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 and and didn't that change I, I I know when I started to get really mean comments I sort of made this decision I'm never going to tweet something that's obnoxious like I just yeah. I get that people see that stuff and it's hurtful yeah i mean i try i have some trolls who literally just wait for you to just live to harass me and they create new accounts i block them and the accounts will be like captain rapist you know (laughs) um and when it really got hard was when people started to target my child and that was when i locked down a lot of my social media which is like not good for my career as an online writer and editor and personality um but you know basically someone called him the n-word on a picture on instagram and that was just like okay like shut it all down burn it down like (laughs) forget this um anyway but like so i had been really i was really bitter and resentful that other people had successful careers although i was doing nothing to get a successful career yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean i was writing but Yeah. yeah i was a drunk you know yeah um and so you know then when i sort of like when I when I actually became happy with myself right. and started to work on my shit, um, that's when, you know, of course, the career stuff started to happen for me. I don't know about you. I mean, a huge thing for me, I had a very similar thing when I got sober. All I did was get fired before I got sober. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly in my first like five years, got all the dreams yeah, I wanted. Yeah, and it feels like a reward for being sober, right? Like, Which is why I, I'm so impressed with people who get sober and like supposedly things all but fall that's apart. But that's what started to happen I after, know. you know, that's what's I happening know. to me now. It's right. like, so there's this weird, like the correlation that you make in your head is like, I got sober and now I've got this amazing career right. and right. I got, you know, I got engaged. I got right. a child. Right. Um, you know, I adopted a, a child. Um, I just said, explain that because got a child sounds pretty weird. But you, if you don't know what that you means. were fostering, we became a foster parent with my fiance at the time, you know, and it was like, I've got everything because I'm sober. Right, right, and right. And then I lost it 
all. <laughs> Not the child. Uh, well, I lost the relationship. And got a new I one. have the child. I have joint custody of the child. But of course, that was a painful, right. you know, horrible experience right. uh, for him and for me. Yeah. And, um, and uh and then uh the the site that I was working for was sold to a huge media company and I got just cut out of the deal basically. Yeah. Um could we couldn't come to an agreement mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. sort of what I was worth and mm-hmm. what uh <laughs> what they could um, and you know, and this was something that I created. I had launched, I had been there since the beginning and had yep. been my baby. I had created it um, you know, with other people, but you were a, the to me. I, I assume to many people the central figure, but whatever. Well, thanks. You're yeah. my friend. But, well, <laughs> but it had true. been my baby, and it had yeah. been my life, and a lot of my identity. And I, what I've also discovered since that is that I had a pretty cherry situation in the sense of like pretty much complete creative freedom, pretty much being the boss, not really having to answer to anyone, um, just sort of doing what I wanted all the time. And I don't know about you, but this is what happened to me by getting a lot of those gifts and sobriety is it didn't occur to me that I was lucky. It just occurred to me that I was very deserving. I was very it, wonderful. And that I just, my, just, my wonderfulness had been discovered because of my sobriety. Same. And that it would only continue. Yeah. Same. No, it was all on the upswing from there. Yep. And then, so then when I sort of lost all of that stuff, you know, at first it's, it's like, maybe this is just a temporary setback. Right. But, but it is. It is, but it's a temporary setback that's been going Continued on longer for than you'd like. a yeah. few years now right. of just like bad things happening. Right. Um, so yeah, there's that, there's the realization, like you're saying that, oh no, it's, you don't just get good things because you're sober, like good things and bad things happen when you're sober. And it's nice that I had Yes. Nice things happened to me right. in the first few years of my sobriety. Right. But um, it wasn't actually like a reward from God for my sobriety. <laughs> right. But maybe the reward is to get you to appreciate it very much when it comes back. Well, it's true. And the reward is also that when you are in a place like this where you're really lost, you're really bottomed out, like you don't know where you're going or what's going to happen, that you have a way to deal with it. Yep. Um, because I don't know what people do when this happens and you're you're not sober and you don't have a program because but only bad things happened to me before i was sober and didn't have a program but i mean just regular people like right. not even like yeah. a, like just regular people who aren't alcoholics right like everybody has phases like this you know a couple of years where somebody dies and you lose your job and then somebody else has cancer and you're you know just horrible things that you have to deal with in life now i get to sort of say to myself like pain is the touchstone of spiritual (laughs) growth yeah Yeah. and i get to like turn it over yeah you know and i get to like trust the universe and my higher power right um and i have i have a support group built in in recovery you know you have a place where you can go i have a place i can just go and 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 get sort of free therapy and get hugged yeah 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 (laughs) and rewarded and thanks yeah and like and so what do yeah what do you do if you if you don't have that i know does this it's 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 been occurring to me that like all of humanity that i had so little respect for that we're all so impressive like even these people i have zero respect for for various reasons survive insurmountable things yeah guaranteed everybody is going to have like their parents die everybody yeah. is going to have certain yeah terrible things happen to yeah. them yeah and they um, just well, do right it. and then the other thing i try to do is remember all this stuff that's not terrible yep. because yeah i don't 
you know, you don't have a job or your, your career falls apart and your relationship falls apart, but I have a healthy child. I'm healthy. You know, right, things could right. always be worse. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's true. So, okay. And so, um, what else about addiction or recovery would you, do you think it's important to impart to people who are struggling or, you know, tr- to get sober or sober and struggling? I mean, for me, like before I got sober, I think the biggest thing that held me back from getting sober, other than that, I just didn't have that, whatever that willingness was that just was given to me at some point, um, I was that I didn't think life was going to be fun anymore. Yeah. yeah. And that is not, has not proven itself to be true at all. And in fact, I would say I have a lot more fun yep. now than I did. And I discovered so many things that I thought were fun that I actually didn't even like once I wasn't drinking. Like parties with drunk people? Or like concerts, you know, yeah, like, or like just fun. like not, not every concert, but like things that I would have gone to just because I knew I could get drunk there. Right. Like once the alcohol was gone, it was like, I don't want to be here. And certain people This probably. isn't fun. Yeah, yeah. Certain people. Oh, definitely certain people. Yeah. Where you, all of a sudden you're having your first sober conversation with someone and you realize you hate them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that you have nothing in common with them and they were your best friend. Yeah. Well, I had all these friends that I didn't even know their last names. I had all the bar friends, you know, like uh, right. I had people in my phone just as like Matt Talica, you yeah. know, or like, <laughs> uh, like Vadim Cocaine, you <laughs> <Right>. know, <laughs> like I didn't know what people did for a living or we yeah. never saw each other in daylight. <laughs> well, a lot of those people didn't do anything for a living in my, in my experience. Oh, I just don't know. I didn't yeah. bother to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's different with the Coke crew because you have this Coke crew that like you all just kind of – you talk endlessly about all the things that you're going to do. Yeah. Well, and about all all the things – all your childhood trauma. You do talk a lot about that. I talked a lot about rape when I was (laughs) – well, I remember like somebody like passing me the mirror and then like passing me the book, uh, the, like the trauma of the gifted child or oh, some no. book about the gifted child oh, no. um, and toxic parents and books like that, you know? Um, oh, but I did want to actually touch on that, that like w- that story about my, my rapist contacted me on Facebook. Was that like the big thing that got, I mean, that, that got a lot of attention. That was literally the first thing I wrote for Exo Jane. Yeah. And it was the first thing that went up from me. And it was funny because it was something that um, I had uh, pitched to other like women's magazines like Mary Claire and like, you know, Glamour, Elle, like those kinds of magazines. I don't remember which ones I actually pitched it to. Um, And nobody would touch it. Yeah. And then I brought it. I started working with Jane and I was like, I have this, like I talk to my rapist and like, I kind of want to publish like an interview with my rapist. And she was like, yes, you know, like so into it. And then, yeah, it made it, there have been more stories like that now that it's it's a bigger thing now with social media being such a part of people's lives. Of course, these like unpleasant people pop up, you know? Yeah. But, um, uh, it was kind of the first story I think that really hit that topic. And I went on Dr. Phil and I went on NPR and, um, like, (laughs) <laughs> God, read horrible comments about myself all over the internet. Did you um, talk to the rapist after the, all the sensation? I never talked to him again. I'm sure he saw it. Yeah. Um, that was like my biggest fear was that he was going to reach out to me afterward and be angry. I think, you know, I think he genuinely felt very remorseful and right. very um, upset at how much what had happened to me had gone on to affect me because mm-hmm. to him it wasn't as like, you know, he was also a teenager um, and to him, I don't think he realized what had really happened or what a big deal it was. Um, right. So, 
yeah, he felt he actually felt bad. Um, and so I think that when it started getting attention, he probably continued to feel bad and yeah. just sort of slunk away. Yeah. And I think he deleted his social media. I mean, I didn't ever reveal his name or um, anything like that. But when then when I went on Dr. Phil, the funny thing was, I'm not really funny. Um, the horrifying thing was, <laughs> so I'm in the green room and the, they make you sign this form right before you go on, you know, like I'm just releasing them from whatever. And in there, it's so specifically like, we can bring anyone from your past, anyone, blah, oh blah, blah, God. this and that. So I got you. terrified yeah. that he was there right? and they had producers in there like talking me down. So I was like, I'm not signing this. I'm not going out. Yeah. Like, is he here? You know? And so they got producers down there to tell me like, he's not here. Yeah. Like, like, but that was like. That was the nightmare. And then, and with Dr., you know, Dr. Phil, it was just like, I didn't know because he's kind of known for the tough love thing. Like, yeah. I didn't know how he was going to treat me, but he was great. Yeah. And he asked me, he let me get my message out there exactly, which was, you know, he said to me, like, what would you say to a 14-year-old girl who's going through, like, what right. you were going through right now? So I got to say, like, it's not your fault, no right. matter what. doesn't matter if you were drunk or if you liked the guy or if you blah, blah. You know, I got to get that out. So right, right. that was great. Um, and the other memorable thing from that was um, I got flown to L.A to do it and my best friend Taylor lives in LA and um he came with me like for moral support mm -hmm. and um the hotel I was staying at you know the the show gave us like a voucher for the restaurant there mm -hmm. and um we went to eat at the restaurant and um <laughs> my friend and this in the gallows humor kind of like sense that we have like my friend Taylor was just like thank you so much for getting raped so we could have this delicious <laughs> meal oh my god <laughs> So, so it was all worth it. It was totally worth yeah. it. it was I think I had a steak, a free meal at <laughs> yeah. some hotel, some not hotel restaurant. Hotel. Yeah. Um. And did you read the Stanford uh rape victim letter? I did. Yeah, I wrote something about it for uh, Ravishly. Okay. Yeah, about um the twenty minutes. You know, what the the twenty minutes of action yeah, that yeah, his dad yeah, yeah. said in the article, just sort of like what the actual like trauma impact of twenty minutes is right. on a victim. Right. Um, right. Or two minutes or 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah, that the just tra how, how profoundly trauma changes your mind and body and emotions and how it follows you for the rest of your life. And how here I am 33, like still having to deal with this shit, you right. know, like it's so unfair. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. I say that all the time. And my therapist is just like, you're right. It's very unfair. And they're like, but it's unfair. <laughs> my first sentence was it's not fair but you have to just accept it i mean you're yep. like it's not fair but this is what i've been given yeah and i have to deal with the it reasons i can't explain yeah that are not fair that are not right yeah. you know and the person who hurt me and made me this way is out there probably feeling fine Right, you know, possibly hurting other people. And I had spent a decade in therapy, you know, like trying to work through the fact that a bunch of guys decided to rape me one night, you know, when I was 14. One could argue that the people who did that were never feeling fine. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that I think there's so little understanding about consent with men, like, right. especially like I'm from Oklahoma. These were teenage boys. They were a little bit older than me, but they were still teenagers. Right. 
and this group thing too like that's still that's like still happening that's still a big issue of like the Steubenville thing like yeah this, a group of guys at a party deciding to you know rape a girl now they put the pictures on social media you know I'm right. lucky that didn't exist yet right but it's like there's some weird mentality there like there was one guy who was kind of the ringleader and I think yeah no, something was not okay with him yeah these other guys I don't know if they fully understood what they were doing yeah yeah, not to not that that makes it right or okay, but um, yeah. I think there just needs to be better education. You know, I tried really to really work on that with my own son. Um, I you know that his body is his body, and if he doesn't want to kiss or he doesn't want to hug or he doesn't want to be tickled, you know, I stop immediately. Yeah, and then hopefully that translates to him. Like everyone's body, yeah, is their own body, and if someone says, "Don't touch my body," stop. No, you immediately stop. You yeah. know, even if you're you're playing, you're tickling, you're poking somebody, you know, it's sort of starting that now. Yeah. Like body autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it, it's a good message to close on. <laughs> Let's just close on body autonomy. Well, body autonomy and, you know, how those lines get very, very blurred when um, you're, you know, stir substances into the mix. They absolutely do. Um, it's one reason I go to women's meetings. Oh, you only do now? Mostly. I mean, just because I, I need to talk about that stuff that happens to women when we drink. And, and I do think it's definitely as the Craigslist culture, you know, that wasn't a thing when I got sober. I got sober in, um, you're like old lady sober. Please. (laughs) Old lady sober. I'm going to have 16 years. If you don't think that makes me feel old every day, but you know, um, it is called an old timer. So there's that's that. That's true. I don't know if you're quite an old timer. No, yet. I think 20. I think you have to hit 20. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm going to, God willing. So Let's hope. there's that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So that was Emily McCombs on After Party Pod. After Party Pod is a part of After Party Magazine, which is a part of Rehab Reviews, which is a part of the world. If you want to subscribe to the newsletter, go to afterpartynewsletter.com. Uh, we will send you the ebook, How I Got Sober 10 Writers Share Their Stories. If you want to reach me, Anna at the After Party Group, goodbye.